This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Eleven. Jack felt as if her mind was truly clear for the first time since this ordeal began, though she was not sure that sneaking off for a quickie was the best decision she had made in the past few days. However, what was done was done, and she sat with Phoenix, talking about art and the difficulties that people who do not fit into the system of working for a firm have when trying to do their work. Jack discovered that Phoenix was gainfully employed as a writer for a prominent board devoted to performance art. One of the large firms funded the board, as well as many exhibitions every year. I didn't know that even existed, Jack said. It's very uncommon, Phoenix said. I was extremely lucky to get the position. Of course, I worked for them to begin with, and was active in the community anyway. I knew who to go to, and what I had to do to get it. Phoenix smiled languidly, and Jack understood that there were probably not very many desires that Phoenix didn't get fulfilled. Jack laughed and said, Good for you. I think most of us just coast through life, letting things happen to us. It's nice to meet someone who's making things happen. Well, you wouldn't be here, Phoenix indicated the entire room if you weren't interested in making things happen. You don't know how right you are, Jack thought, and sipped her beer. Can I ask an indelicate question? Jack said, changing the subject. Phoenix laughed. I would think that delicacy would be behind us now, wouldn't you? Jack smiled. You put a lot of work into... She ran her eyes up and down Phoenix's body. This. I thought you might have noticed. Phoenix answered, almost preening slightly. To be blunt, why? Jack asked, looking into Phoenix's slightly orange-tinted eyes. I mean, for so much of life the body is completely irrelevant. It's a whole lot of work for so little return. Phoenix smiled and leaned back slightly, getting comfortable. That depends on the kind of life you live, my dear. For most people, what you said would be true. But I live my life in such a way that I spend most of my time here, in the physical world. I come to these kinds of events for the art, of course, but much more for the people, the bodies. I love the physical, and I choose to live in such a way as to get as much of it as I can. Fair enough, Jack said. She noticed that the lights began to dim, and Phoenix's hand crept over to her knee again. Jack covered the invading hand with her own, and they sat together their hands lightly touching, as a viewer screen was lowered from the ceiling to obscure the wall at the far end of the room. The viewer screen flickered once, twice, and then the image of a man who appeared to be approaching middle age appeared on the screen. He wore his hair in a strange affectation of anachronism. It was some sort of washed-out brown color, with haphazard streaks of gray concentrated at his temples. It was cropped fairly short, with two small upswept waves on top of his head. He was unshaven, but not bearded exactly, more like someone who's moved into a new apartment and forgotten to program the shaving unit in the washroom. The most striking thing about him, though, was his right eye. It was missing. He had some kind of replacement, but there was something horribly wrong with it. 
Everyone had some kind of augmentation, and eyes were a common choice for replacement, but completely artificial eyes usually looked pretty much like the real ones. But this was like he had just shoved a black stone in the socket. It seemed like an ominous opposite number to his real eye, a flashing blue orb that seemed to emit its own light. Of course, that could just be a clever lighting trick or an enhancement, Jack thought. Still, the overall effect was definitely startling. Even if his face hadn't been projected onto a screen that was a story high, he would have commanded attention. Friends, he said, his voice oddly soft. Thank you all for coming. We are holding events simultaneously around the globe today, a celebration of our work of this last year. And it is good to see you all. The image on the viewer changed to an array of viewers, each of which showed a recorder's eye view of a room not unlike the one Jack was in. Indeed, she thought she could almost pick out the live image of their event. The view switched back to the spokesman, who Jack now thought of as Black Eye. Many of our chapters have been very active this past year, he continued, and have done much to further the cause. He named some areas and their projects over the past year, and Jack noticed that the group who was hosting the event she was attending really was one of the more artistic of the bunch, as Mojo had suggested. Some of the others were more obviously political, lacking the subtlety of the salon before and after piece, for example. I really don't understand some of those other groups, Phoenix said, absent-mindedly groping Jack's upper thigh. There's nothing artistic about trying to disrupt the public school network of Oceana. It's just stupid and annoying. Mojo had moved into the main room now, and was sitting within earshot. We're a pretty loose association, you know, he slurred. I honestly don't understand a good half of what those other groups do. And I frankly wonder about them, too, sometimes. On the word them, he jerked his head toward the viewer. But they're supportive as hell, and they send us parts all the time, so whatever. He took a long pull on his beer and seemed to retreat into himself a little. Jack's focus returned to the viewer and Black Eye. He was expounding on the value of the group's actions, then segued into talking about how the world needed to see how we all used machines without even thinking, how we accepted their roles in our lives without even recognizing where we ended and they began. We are integrated almost at birth, he said, machines in our bodies and our bodies in machines. But who ever thinks of the machines? Do those people in the streets, in the offices, do they ever question their machines? Do they ask themselves, when they make a decision or perform a task, did I do that, or did my cybernetics? We are here to ask those questions, my friends. I encourage you to keep asking those questions, every day, everywhere you go. He gave some sort of salute, and most of the people in the room cheered and clapped. The viewer panned to images of other gatherings, the participants applauding, howling, or waving their hands in the air. Jack turned to Mojo and casually asked, So, who is that guy? Mojo seemed to wake with a start, and took his time getting his bearings. He recovered without any major difficulty, though, and Jack suspected that he had a personal recording device on him to catch any action he missed while dozing or otherwise occupied. He is the nominal leader of the Red, Mojo said, perking up slightly. The rumor is he started the group in Europe after totally dropping out of life in the firms and living as a streeter for a while. 
There's a lot of talk that he's a total outlaw, that he stole secrets from the firm he worked for or destroyed their network or something. Mojo warmed up to the role of raconteur and leaned in toward Jack and Phoenix. They say he took out his own eye when he was on the run because his retinal print was on file with the firm and he didn't want to be found. I think that's all a bunch of marketing bullshit myself, but there's no doubt that the guy's legitimately hardcore. I met him a few times in person and he's a true believer. Like I said before, this group is all about the art, but he's all about the revolution. Hardcore, man. Mojo leaned back, taking a sip of beer and basking in the glow of his story. Now this was the kind of detail she was after. Whether or not the hype was true, it sounded like Black Eye was the kind of person who could be behind the human control program, and the European connection added fuel to her fire. Where is he based now? Jack asked. Vancouver, I think, Mojo said. The Pacific Rim, Jack thought. This is starting to come together. Aloud, she said, Interesting. There must be an active group there. Oh, yes, said Mojo. It's like home base for all of us. There's classes and meetings and all kinds of stuff going on. We all visit the headquarters when we're up there. I'm going to be in that neighborhood soon myself, Jack said, technically not lying, since she had just then decided to head out there next weekend. I wouldn't mind looking them up. I'll give you a map when you turn on the wireless, Mojo said. Just remind me. We'll do, Jack said, and Mojo left to go take care of some group business. That reminds me, Jack said to Phoenix, who was still lightly pawing at Jack's leg. What's up with the network here? It's not just this building. It's down, partway up the block. It's a dead zone, Phoenix said, as if that explained it all. A dead zone? Jack said. I've never heard of that before. Phoenix laughed. You really are a newbie here, aren't you? Jack flushed a little, but Phoenix just patted her knee and smiled. There are dead zones all over the place, in every city. The first ones were places where the Everywhere Net just never made it to, but most of them now have been created by the Reds. It's part of what every group does. They dismantle the infrastructure of the Everywhere Net in a small area, then run hardwired access into it at the perimeter of the dead zone. What for? Jack asked. Are they just being difficult or what? I think it's partly that, Phoenix said, but it's also so they can be connected to the network, but they're in control. They turn it on, turn it off. Most of them believe that the firms are monitoring people through the nets, with more than just the weak old logs, and this is a way to ensure that isn't happening to them. They all have the same access. It's just metered, buffered, rerouted, and wired. That's so... Jack thought for the right word. Old. Phoenix laughed. Well, many of them do think of themselves as anachronisms. The lights came up, and Lafayette walked to the space in front of the larger viewer screen. Okay, everyone, she addressed the crowd. You're welcome to hang out for a while, but that's it for the formal part of the show. We're going to turn on the wireless for the next ten minutes, and if you feel so inclined, we'd be happy to take any donation you'd like to leave. Thanks, everyone, for coming. And if you want more information about what we do, or want to be part of our next project, leave your contact details in the guest book. There's a dead tree book on the welcome table, but if you don't know how to write, you can beam it over on the wireless when it's on. Jack felt a familiar light buzz in her head, and she flicked on her display. She walked over to her cash stash and pulled out a few coins for the donation jar. She also dropped her box and jester contact card in with the euros, figuring that keeping in touch with this group wouldn't hurt her efforts to get to see Black Eye. She heard Phoenix say, I'll show you mine if you show me yours, 
and saw a contact card drop into her vision. She passed her card over to Phoenix as well, saying, I don't know when I'll get over here again, you know. I don't have to see you in the flesh, you know, Phoenix said, turning toward the exit. It's just a preference. I'll be in touch. Phoenix winked at Jack, then disappeared down the stairwell. She took a deep breath, trying not to think about how strange this whole experience was, then turned off her display. She found Mojo and Lafayette, and thanked them for the event and the information. She reminded Mojo about the Vancouver map, and he dropped the file on her just before Lafayette turned the wireless off. Thanks, Jack said. I've got to catch a train back home. Have a good trip, Lafayette said, and Jack smiled and walked down the stairwell. The metal grate at the bottom of the stairs was either unlocked or on a motion sensor, because it opened easily at Jack's touch. When she left the building, the rain had stopped, but night had come on and the street was dark. Jack walked to the train stop without turning on her display. The silence of the street seemed to make it easier to think about what she had seen and heard. On the train, she finally turned on her systems and went online. She had a message from Adrian waiting, and saw that it was getting late. She decided to wait to read Adrian's message on the intercity train, and was already wondering how she was going to manage an entire week at boring Bellus when she had real work to be doing. She watched the city go by through the images on her display. The night made the lights of the building both warmer and more eerie. Were the firms really trying to control people through the nets? Of course they were, but was it more than just the subtle need for a job and the need for normalcy that the nets reinforced? Jack didn't know the answers, didn't know if there was an answer. She rode the train to the station in a daze. Zero, zero, one, zero, zero. I'm walking down the street, heading for the train when it hits me like the biggest download you've ever taken. The edges of my vision start to shake and I can't turn off my display even using the hard reset behind my ear. Then the display turns into something strange, a hybrid view of some kind of desktop in the street. But the street is painted in a thousand funny colors and the desktop is all wrong. There's no pointer for the files, no window to open or close. You just reach out your hand and take the file. Just take the file. That's right, the one in front of you. And the ones next to it, all of them. Take them all and put them in the other folders. This one in your pants. That one in your jacket. The ones labeled pocket. Don't worry about those sounds. They don't mean anything. Just follow the trail on your desktop. Follow the path back to home. And stay there. I'll just stay there where everything is warm and safe and nice, where I won't remember a thing, not a thing. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darisha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot c-a slash beautifulred or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com, and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at darusha.ca, leave a comment on the Patiobooks site, or call the listener line at 206-984-2976. Thanks for listening.